The Queen's Gambit follows the story of a young chess prodigy, Beth Harmon, as she rises to the top of the male-dominated competitive chess world, while struggling with her broken childhood, emotional problems, drug abuse, and alcohol dependency. So often we see stars, geniuses, and saints by their accomplishments, yet we often fail to recognize the hidden struggles they go through. But as we pull away the veil, we come to know just how heavy are the crosses they bear. Today, we enter the universe of the Queen's Gambit. This is Truly Universal. Welcome to Truly Universal, the podcast where we talk about all things Catholic in another universe. Um, I'm joined by some lovely friends here. We're going to talk about Queen's Gambit, and I'll, I'll introduce them to you right now. We got Ethan, our audio guy, our um, chess expert, and um, yeah, he looks game, right? Right? Yeah, for sure. All right. We also got our own... Um, genius resident Meg, right here. Yeah. Hi, everyone. <laughs> and also because he's got the hair and the clothes, and he looks like Harry Veltic right now. David. Better teeth. Howdy. Get ready, guys. We're gonna go into Queen's Gambit today. It is. I just binged it like what was yes. it a couple months ago like right after it came out a bunch of us just watched it and read the books recently and we're just gonna get right into it what were you guys' experiences playing chess since this whole series is about chess and how do you guys grow up as a kid playing board games chess and all that kind of stuff i grew up uh i played chess a lot when i was a kid I, I don't think I knew what I was doing. I was just kind of, I mean, I knew what all the pieces did, right? But I didn't know any strategies like the Sicilian defense, you know, or or even the Queen's Gambit. Uh, I didn't know any of that. I was just kind of playing the game, just knowing the moves of the pieces. And uh, actually the only kind of official move, which I don't know why I just said official, because I don't know the official name, but like the that four move checkmate, I learned that when I was like in middle school and I would use that a lot. And it's funny because in the show, that's like the very first chess move that we see. So once I saw that, I was like, well, there go, that exhausted all of my chess knowledge. So I have no idea what's going to happen from here. <laughs> the very first episode. <laughs> I actually highlighted all the different like move names in my Kindle just so I can look back on it and reference it whenever I wow. wanted. She's an intellectual. <laughs> Use the vocabulary. No, fake fake intellectual. I just wanted to like like shoot it out there. She every just once looks in a while. the part. Yeah. My experience of chess probably is even like about like David. I mean, when I learned how to castle, that was like 
the peak of knowledge for me because <laughs> that seemed like, oh, it's like a cool little move that you can do with two pieces at once. Yeah. Um, Sorry, what's most... the castle? If you could explain for the listeners or and also me because I don't know either. <laughs> <laughs> when you move the king to the corner um, and, swi- and then you move the, over the rook yeah. to, um, to protect it. Ethan's oh, okay. like judging yeah. me right now. No, he, I mean he, I, you're doing great, man. You're doing great. <laughs> All power to you, man. <laughs> yes. Yeah. Keeps so them in like the corner. Twofer? Yes. Keeps yeah. them safe. Mm-hmm. Um, That's cool. Most of the time that when I play though, um, especially when I was a kid, it and felt like a suicide mission all the time where I would just like take pieces left and right. Like, Oh, this is fun. Just eat everything. And then don't care about how many pieces you have left. And then realize, Oh crap. I only have like two people or <laughs> two pieces left. <laughs> like, well, as long as I got my king and queen, I'm good. <laughs> exactly. Mark just goes in all the way. <laughs> Mark always. That's just Mark yeah. all the time. Yeah. Like, like, what was it? Uh, I was playing chess with my girlfriend, like, what, right after we finished the series. And I beat her the first two times. Okay. And then she proceeded to beat me, like, the next five. <laughs> <laughs> she it was really bad. Hard. Exactly. <laughs> Again? <laughs> Probably. I was going to say, when Mark, it, like, you're saying how you just play a suicide mission, like, from the very beginning, it's just, like, you make your first move, and then you're, like, Doctor Strange. We're in the end game now. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Mark, we just started. I know. <laughs> There's our obligatory reference to another universe. <laughs> Always. Always. What about you, Ethan? Okay. So I have uh, quite a bit of experience with chess growing up because um, when I was about, I think, 11, I actually played competitive chess. Um, with my dad he and I would both go to chess tournaments and, and whatnot around the Bay Area um, So it was a big part of my life um, when I was growing up This was primarily the only board game I ever really played it was just chess um, And so watching the series and like all of it It's very very interesting to kind of recap on all of those chess experiences I had growing up because I was pretty deep into the chess world um, Not in the sense that I was really good, but you know all these terms like Nimzo Indian, Karl Khan, Queen's Gambit, on Passant, Castling. This was like my childhood, basically. Um, yeah, for those of you wondering, I was rated in USCF. I quit around like 13 or something like that. I ended up with probably around like 1300 as a rating, which is pretty average, below average around that area. Um, but the way I got into chess was my dad initially saw that I was really good at Sudoku. And so he was like, oh, this kid's big brain. Let's, like, get him to play chess. That <laughs> <laughs> kid's smart. I know. Like, yeah. Let's see how smart. <laughs> and then, like, I, like, he played me, right? And then I lost. And me being, like, the salty little nine-year-old or whatever was like, I know, I need to be my dad. I need, I need to win and play against my dad and beat him in chess. Um, and my dad got me this book called How to Beat Your Dad in Chess. Um, oh, and I read wow. it, and I was like, all right, we got, mm, we're, we're learning here, we're moving on up, we're leveling up. I didn't beat him with that book, because he was still better than me. But that kind of started me on the path of, like, I want to get better at it and, you know, improve and that sort of stuff. So it, it was a big part of my childhood. Um, I didn't win that many tournaments, but I performed very well. I won once. Um, and, like, you don't make that much money doing chess tournaments, so I think I won, like, around $1,000, I think. Something like that. Wait, a thousand? I don't know yeah. much chess. <laughs> Just a measly pocket change of a thousand dollars. 
raise was, money. That was the only time I ever won anything. Every every like division under, they give you like plastic trophies and stuff, and you know it's nice. But that was that was the peak of my career, and then I quit after that. So. Hold on, wait. Your first name is Ethan. I don't know your last name. Is it Harmon or <laughs> Beltic? Um, it's actually Carlson or Kasparov. You know. <laughs> oh my bad. <laughs> yeah. I just laughed. I don't know what that reference was, but I'm guessing it's a chess thing. Yeah. I just want to belong. <laughs> it's okay, David. It's okay. Yes. Well, my experience with chess is not nearly as impressive. <laughs> so. Growing up, my parents didn't let us have TVs in our rooms. There was no TV anywhere but, like, our family room because they felt like it was a communal thing. Otherwise, you just get sucked into it and you lose yourself, all that stuff. They just, like, recognize what's happened to an entire generation way earlier than they, you know, were supposed to. Um, anyways, so we had, like, a lot of board games, obviously. And if you know my brother, if you've heard rents in any of the previous podcasts he's probably talked about his obsession with board games and beating everyone at monopoly because that's who he is and he's heartless anyway <laughs> so cold <laughs> so we had this set of three um like classic board games and we got it from this store called bombay it was in the mall and ethan doesn't know what this is david david you know what this is right yeah yes Yes. So David said it's like world market. No, it's not nearly as eclectic or cultured because everything was the same, like, color palette. Everything was like a dark wood, some kind of brass metal, and then maybe some glass. And all of it was like armoires and like chiffoniers and all. I don't know. I don't even know what chiffoniers Can I just say, you just pulled me in you, into the story. You said, David, you know what Bombay is, right? And I said yes. And then you proceeded to just destroy me by saying, David doesn't know what Bombay is. <laughs> That's what happened. You threw him under the bus. <laughs> that's what they call a gambit. No time for niceties in story time, man. That's what Queen's Gambit. <laughs> it's all about, you know? So anyways, Bombay, a fancy store, everything the same color. Um, I don't even know how fancy it actually is, because I'm just like, I'm a Vallejo kid. Whatever. Um, but anyways, so we got this set of the classic board games. It was checkers, Chinese checkers, and chess. And so they were, like, these fancy, like, I'm assuming, like, mahogany or maple. I don't know what it is. Um, besides the marbles and the, ch- and the Chinese checkers. And then the checkers things were glass. Um, but the chessboard was all wood. And I think I only really liked chess more just by the fact that it had prettier pieces. I don't really understand what I was doing. Um, I did like Chinese checkers more in terms of play style because that's the only one I actually understood very well and the marbles were pretty um <laughs> solid but yeah that's like as far as it goes f- with me for chess solid were there any other board games you guys really liked as a kid um I oh, know now that me- you mention it actually <laughs> um i don't know if you guys ever played moncala but i grew up playing that and yeah. I- actually i don't know if there's a strategy to that game either but as a kid you just kind of play it and it's easy to play. I love it. Um, I love the sound of the marbles on the little wood thing. And it, when you get the last one, it just kind of... <laughs> um, yeah, it's awesome. Yeah, yeah Moncala is fun because it's like... You, there's not really much strategy. You can just yeah. like kind of play it 
mindlessly can play a drunk, yeah. whatever it is. Oh. Like, my... my, my <laughs> oh, oh, that escalated quickly. <laughs> well, like, in the Philippines, it's, a, it's, one of, it's like a drunk game. It's like a drinking game. Anyway, not a drinking game, but you play it when you're drunk. Um, they don't believe in drinking games. They just believe in drinking. Um, but anyways, my <laughs> uncle always told me. He was like, why are you playing all these games? If you want to drink so bad, just drink. <laughs> anyways, my Moncala board had, had shells on it, and it was really pretty. It's one of my favorite things. Maybe I do just like board games. Maybe I do. I think you're actually just like rents, but you don't want to. Admit yeah. it. You're like a pocket board game. He's a closet rent. Rents exactly. made me hate exactly. board games for a long time. Have you played Monopoly with this guy? Like, no chance. No, but oh, I no played mercy. Risk with him. Yeah. I remember we would play Risk at your guys' house like so many times. Um, and yeah, somehow we would get caught up in like skirmishes like on the side, and then somehow he just weaves in and like conquers everything there was even one time we played it where instead of rolling the dice we were playing melee for like like um stocks instead of actually rolling the dice and it got super long like hella hella long we were there like what probably six hours over six hours we were playing into like midnight because it took so long to do every turn so every time you had a battle you had to go to the gamecube and play can you like play a match of melee we had to do like twice we had like a we had a baldo's adjournment like at least one time during the match that's intense it was incredible yeah yeah, don't play with my brother because sometimes like my nieces and nephews will babysit them and then they're like probably like four or five and they're like, Auntie Meg, Uncle Rent, can we play Monopoly? And I'm just like, don't. <laughs> and my brother goes, yes, we can. <laughs> Have you played this game before? I was like, guys, don't want to do this. Get the Macaulay, get the banana grams, and like, no. <laughs> Get the Scrabble, get the Scrabble. <laughs> before it's too late. That's so yeah, funny. He's, ne- he's never up. played it with our nieces and nephews, any of our nieces and nephews, the dozens of them that we have. And none of them have left the game without crying. So, you know, oh don't God. play with my brother. Man. Subscribe to our Patreon account for a chance to beat Rents and Monopoly, everybody. Please or lose. I just, I just remembered, I have another uh, chess memory I think everybody will relate to is from the first Harry Potter movie. And they're like, they have to play live chess or whatever. And, yeah. and Ron goes, knight to B5 or something, E5. Knight to E5. <laughs> they just chops off the pizza's head. Uh-huh. All right, so let's get into the the series now. Um, what's the premise of Queen's Gambit, and then um, what were everyone's like favorite scenes or like um, favorite characters as they watched through? It's it's a very short series; it's only seven episodes. Um, you could probably binge it like pretty quickly, um, right, Ethan? Yes, absolutely. <laughs> I, I binged this um, like a night and a half ago or something like that. I ended up sleeping at 5 a.m., but it was worth it. It's really good, guys. <laughs> worth. It's really, really good. Worth. I've been, I, exactly, hashtag worth. I've been telling all of my friends to go like watch it and stuff because it's really, really good. And as a chess nerd, it's like, oh, it's nice. But um, yeah. <laughs> Disclaimer, I just like, sleep is important, everyone. We're not encouraging yes. lack of sleep, not encouraging binging shows until 5 a.m. We are simply stating that this is what happened to Ethan. <laughs> but if you have a podcast you have to record to in a couple of days, do what you got to do. 
Make but we are not condoning it. <laughs> yes. Yes. Um, yeah. So you have free will. Do whatever you want. <laughs> We're Catholic. That's what we believe in. <laughs> yeah. So to, just to give, like, you know, like Mark was saying, a little preface to Queen's Gambit. Um, are we good with spoilers or, no, like, dude, general? Yeah, we've always had, like, okay. I, mean, <laughs> I was just gonna go brief overview. So I don't. I guess for now, if you haven't watched it, just just go. Like it's really good. I liked it. If I binged it and was able to go through it in one run to five a.m., you can do the same. But we do not condone it. So um, yeah, uh, Queen's Gambit is a story about Beth Harmon, who is an orphan who learned how to play chess um, at her orphanage because the janitor play chess um so one day she travels into the basement sees the janitor and looks at the piece and is like oh i want to learn how to play that game um you know the janitor is like no i'm not gonna let you play chess um and so she's like okay yeah you're a girl and you know inferior or whatever you know and all that sort of stuff so eventually she's like big brain and she's like okay well if you're not gonna let me play chess i'm gonna play chess in my head and she goes on washing the pieces, figuring out how they, they move and that sort of stuff. And eventually, the janitor caves in, teaches her how to play chess. Um, and that go, that starts her journey. You know, she gets better and better as years goes on. Um, eventually competes in tournaments, meets people. Um, but all the while struggling with um, these tranquilizer pills that she received um, in her orphanage. Um, which leads to some, you know, drug things going on and eventually alcoholism down the line. And so it's a story about Beth Harmon, this prodigy genius who's ridiculously good at chess, but also has his own personal struggle of dealing with these substances and whatnot. And it's it's really interesting both on the drama side and on the chess side. So that's that's a little recap of Queen's Gambit. Yeah, Ethan, thanks for the the little intro. Um, so yeah, what were you guys' favorite characters or scenes in there like? One of my favorite characters would have to be Benny Watts. Benny mm. definitely has to be one, one of my favorites just mm. because throughout all the tournaments and stuff, Beth doesn't really find someone who is just as, like, kind of obsessive with chess until she plays against Benny. And at first, they're, like, they butt heads because they're way too alike. But then Benny takes Beth to New York to train in his very sketchy apartment. <laughs> <laughs> it's like the basement like of the apartment. Con- concrete prison there. And then <laughs> it's like, you have to, it's like, I know. He's, he's, she's stuck underground in like this half basement. And she's like, you're going, you're not leaving here until you learn all this chess until and the saddest you... part was the inflatable bed like because it was what what year is it it's like a 60s so like it was yes. like the paddle that you just it wasn't you don't plug it in it wasn't a plug and chug it was like right definitely <laughs> but it was so crazy when they were you when they would um was it they would play speed chess. Remember yeah. the scene when she's playing speed chess against three people simultaneously, including yes. Benny, and then she ends up whooping all her butts afterwards. For money. Yes, for money. And they kept doing that over and over again. Yeah. Again? Da da da. <laughs> yes. And if they did like th- like they did a bunch of times, and she was like again, and then they're just yeah. like, bruh, ran out of money. <laughs> <laughs> I'm good. <laughs> 
and he's hella upset. He's like, don't you see how broke I am? Do you see this apartment? And you're going to try to get more money out of it? Which is funny because he does the same thing to her back at the cafeteria in the tournament they were playing at before. Mm -hmm. Be true. I think my favorite character or characters uh, were the twins. And I know earlier, before we started recording, Mark said they, they were unimportant. <laughs> As mother would say, irrelevant. <laughs> okay, recurring characters. Um, they are recurring. They're at every yeah. tournament. They're, they're, they went to but, Mexico and, you know, pool. Yeah, so I, first of all, I just like them because, like, I don't know, they, like, make me smile. Like, they're just, <laughs> oh. like, very funny to me. Uh, I think their names are Mike and, or Matt and Mike. Um... Shout out to Matthew with one T um, at Tattoo Pedigree on Twitch. Um, <laughs> and uh, <laughs> um, so they're, they're uh, yeah, I don't know. Like the first time you see them, they're like very critical of Beth because like she's a newbie and she's a girl and they're like being very hard on her, not letting her like enter into like the highest um part of the tournament they say she has to start at the bottom Mm -hmm. and i think it's interesting because as the show progresses they start to like warm up to her more to the point where they're really supporting her and they become good friends and i like that because it kind of shows like how it's possible to change so like you can change your opinion like you don't have to think like oh girls can't play or oh she's new or something like that like they were able to change and it kind of gives the audience like this viewpoint of like these guys used to be against her but now they're on her side mm-hmm. and yeah i don't know i like that and they always have cool cool clothes on so that's always fun <laughs> is that what you tried to emulate <laughs> yeah i do like the twins too because they because sh- even just this within the same day the same weekend at that tournament like they changed their minds because at first it's like I don't think it's malicious. I think it's, like, pretty reasonable to be, like, you don't have a rating, you don't have this, like, we've never seen you before, like, are you sure you want to do this? Yeah. Um, But, I mean, obviously, they were, like, a little bit meaner, a lot meaner. Um, But even within that same tournament, they started warming up to her, realizing, oh, wait, no, she's good. And it, like, wasn't even, like, trying to, like, like, climb the ranks by association with her because she's getting popular. They just, like, genuinely appreciate her. Um, and you like you even see that in like in the very end when you see all the people that she's played and beaten and pretty much like emasculated and they're all there to support her in, in Russia. Made it's them amazing. Their manhood through chess. It's amazing. It's it's the same reason why my my Google Home is a male voice not a female voice. Um, but anyway. <laughs> Sorry, my Google's trying to talk to me. Um, That's so funny. But anyways, yeah, I like the twins too. And I also like, I like um, Jolene in the series, not so much in the book. It's like, kind of, they have a really interesting relationship in the book. And I I don't know if you read it. It's weird. Mm. Um, But Jolene in the series... Um, is pretty dope, especially in the later years when she comes back to, like, check on her and, like, makes Beth realize that, uh, like, she wasn't alone this whole time. Like, she was watching her every move as a chess player. Like, 
uh, Mr. Scheibel was too when they visit the orphanage at his funeral. Like, and so she was the one to like put her in her place, like she did at the orphanage, and tell her like, hey, like people care about you, people are rooting for you. Stop pretending you have to do all this on your own. And I think everyone needs that. And it's like me, especially like as, as like a female, when I think about like the places that I've been in where like I'm one of the few, if not the only female, especially it's like I go, I go to Jesuit school of theology. It's mostly Jesuits. It's mostly men. <laughs> it's mostly people. It's mostly religious people. Right. Like and not just in the sense of like, I'm not religious, you know, but like it's like if there's females it, like n- like probably 75 percent of the time, it's it's um, nuns or sisters. Um, or people like discerning and so it's like as like a full-time teacher who's in grad school like there's a lot of times where I feel very alone in those spaces um and so like I I I, like I already struggle not asking people for help Dave knows this Uh, I already struggle always asking people for help I always think I have to do everything on my own um like one because like I'm not used to support but also two because I feel like I'm always have to prove something um and so like I really liked Jolene's support even though it wasn't throughout the entire series it was like the beginning and like the end um but like that reminder to Beth that she's not alone because then she goes to Russia and you know needs to not feel alone you know we see towns again Oh my gosh! <laughs> I had to know that town. So we won't talk about the creepy Ooh. relationships in that show, right? Now. Dude, <laughs> Towns is one of those characters that I, I was probably one of my least favorite characters. I'm like, this he made me so uncomfortable, bro. Like that's the only one. Like mm. it was always weird. I don't know what we were supposed to feel with him. I, I was know. like, is he a good guy? Is he a bad guy? I, think he's I don't know. Be a bad guy. I don't. Yeah. I think that's the point, though. You're supposed yeah. <laughs> to feel like this is a little bit He's like, weird. Is he a predator? Like, who's the predator here? Because like, you have to realize the age difference between them, and you kind of yeah. feel like something, something's right. going on. He was yeah. in college when she was 13. And there's also a, like a discrepancy in her age at the beginning when she gets adopted, because I think they tell. The parents right. that are going to adopt her, they're like, she's 13 or, or right. something. And Beth, like, speaks up. She's about to say, no, I'm not. And then the... Yeah. The, In the book, she's yeah. 12. Oh, okay. Oh. So, so she's sense. 12 at that tournament. But, <laughs> yeah. <that's> crazy. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and then... What was it? Town to ask her what her age is during the the turn when they play against each other, and then yeah, and he's like, "Don't tell me." Which is yeah. a, which is a creeper thing. It's a creeper. I know, because <laughs> he's like probably like thinks she's attractive in the book. He, in the book, she she tells him how old she is, which is twelve. <laughs> uh, okay, uh, I don't know the reason better. I mean, and he's like in college. Yeah, man. I mean, just the idea of hey, let's come to my hotel room so I can take pictures of you. Yeah. She was 16 there. Still wasn't even 18. Still wasn't 18. All that time. Nope. People be wilding in the 60s. Yes. Uh, Sixty. In the book, in the book, a guy doesn't. Well, I don't know if I remember correctly. I think I, I like speed read through it because I was like, cringing really hard. I was like, I don't want to relive this moment. Um, but the guy doesn't show up in the room. Oh. Yeah. Oh, that's interesting. That that yeah. changes things. I think there isn't that changes else. a lot of context. I mean, yeah. someone who's listening and read the book thoroughly could probably tell me. But I sped read through that because I was like, I want to relive <laughs> this scene in my head. Yeah. Oh no. Definitely not a highlight. I think. Yes. Um, I think for me personally, I think my two favorite characters are probably going to be Mr. Scheibel, um, and I also really like Benny. 
Um, and I like Mr. Scheibel a lot because I think I can relate to the story of it. Again, diving back into like my personal experience with chess. Um, I relate a little bit to Beth's experience of learning chess in this basement of this like, you know, kind of rugged area. Like it's not a school, right? It's a very kind of ragtag, hey, let's learn chess in this place. Because um, once I wanted to learn chess more, I, we went to the Sacramento Chess Club, which at the time was in the corner of a Burger King in like West Sac. <laughs> and so, yeah, the true story. So every Friday, I would go with my dad to the corner of a Burger King and we would set up chess sets and stuff. Like, And like sometimes they would give us discounts at the Burger King because they liked us. And so it was like really fun. And like, it's not a basement for sure. It's a little bit nicer, but it is just like, we're literally in a Burger King learning how to play chess in the corner. It's not very glamorous at all. Um, and in a sense, I had my own Mr. Scheibel. Um, I had my teacher. His name was Mike Parman. Um, he taught me like everything he knew. Beth Harvey. <laughs> I know, right? <laughs> yeah, but uh, yeah. So I, I really like him as a character because that's how I have a figure in my life that was kind of like that for me of like, you know, let's teach you how to play this game and see how far you can go sort of thing. Um, but I also really like Benny because I just, he's like... He's larger than life. Like I don't, I don't believe anybody can just wear a robe like, like a leather robe like that and just rock it and just like be like. I believe it's a trench coat. <laughs> trench coat, like I, whatever. A trench coat. No one of you. He had like this rock star vibe. Yeah, like, I'm the rock star, but the chess. Exactly. And you had like the cowboy hat everywhere. Like, yeah, I'm Me so and cool. David were talking about like why is he wearing the same thing and like all like June whatever right. years that they've known each other, he's wearing the same damn thing every time. Hey man, he's like a cartoon. Even, character. even the book gives him costume changes, and it's like all imaginary. Like, <laughs> did you run out of money? So you're like, Betty Watts was the last person you yeah. got costumes for. It was like, hey man, you're out of luck. We ran out of money. Well, that explains his creepy apartment. That does. That does. I mean, yeah. in the book, there's one time where he's wearing a white button-up with like a, oh. a wool a wool hat. Okay, like oh, that, that, that's not the Benny I know and love. The, the, the Benny I know and love, same leather. Would all the never, time. never. It's funny to me. Also, like his costume looked so big on him. Like the hat was big, and the robe, or not the robe. We'll, we'll call it the rope. It's the a, rope. It's the leather rope. It was also very big. He kind of looked very. He looked very kiddish because of how big the clothes yeah. was so it kind of added to like wow this is like a young uh prodigy type player where it's like all these older people are coming to him to like see what he has to say even though he's supposed to be in his 20s i just couldn't get out of my head the kid in love actually you know that was like totally in love with this pop star girl in middle school and his dad was um was a uh, oh my gosh what's his name taken what's Liam Neeson. And taken. Liam Neeson. Like, that's his dad. And he's, like, teaching him how to woo a woman. <laughs> Through chess. <laughs> that's a Queen's chess. Gambit right there. <laughs> Real chess players are cringing. They're like, I know. Right. I know. Yeah. That sounds like a chess pickle play. <laughs> oh, God. So yeah. Oh, man. But I guess, like, transitioning into favorite moments, I think, like, my favorite moment was when Beth finally took an L. Because I was, mm. I was like, I, I like her as a character, but then as a player, she's so cocky. And I'm like, you're so full of yourself. Thou shalt be humbled. And so when she took <laughs> the L, I was like, yes, she knows how it feels. It was like, you know, like, 
do you bleed? Yes, I, you know, <laughs> that sort of thing. She's like, yeah. <laughs> I finally know what it tastes like, you know, to lose and that sort of stuff. She was so salty afterwards, I, though. And she was talking to almost like, well, she, she didn't even realize her mom was dead. That's how salty <laughs> yeah, she was. That was <laughs> that's such a spoiler. <laughs> that was a what? big one. You're gonna be, I thought she was an orphan. What? <laughs> like, <laughs> oh. <laughs> Yikes. Um. We need to like put in like a little sound bit of like spoiler alert or something like that. We need to get Ian to to record that or something. Spoilers. I like how every time she was she was about to lose, she would have the flashback to Mr. Schreibel and he'd be like, You resign now. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh. <It's> okay. <laughs> yeah. Yeah, and then you have that ve- when the very first time that happened, she's like, But I could still win. Oh, yeah. Like, no. Yeah. You resigned. <laughs> no. I'm surprised you didn't say that your favorite character was Little Beth because oh, you were like actually, obsessed. You know like, he's okay. a big fan. Yeah, Little Beth. I was kind of disappointed when they did the transition from Little Beth to like the actual main character, the main actress, because <laughs> I, I actually really liked her acting. I thought she was really funny. Um, mm-hmm. And just kind of like. Well, she, she wasn't supposed to be funny, but. Well, maybe she wasn't supposed to be funny. <laughs> yeah. Funny. <laughs> supposed to be like a traumatic little child. <laughs> yeah, but like when she was having withdrawals, when they took away the pills, and she's just all like mm-hmm. answering all the questions like, yes, no, or whatever. It's, it was just like yeah. really funny to me. One of my uh, favorite scenes, though, or I'm just going to say the parts that made me laugh the most, but. When, uh, like, she she plays with Mr. Scheibel for a while, and then he brings over that high school teacher, and then the guy, he wants to take a picture of her. So they take a, she takes a photo with Mr. Scheibel, and the, oh, it yeah. is the most awkward, like, photo oh, of all time. And I was so happy yeah. that that photo comes back, like, later. Like, you actually see the photo later on. I was like, yes, yeah. yes. <laughs> that one was good. <laughs> Oh, man. And the the tranquilizer stealing scene where she just oh, oh. that was amazing that was a Dude. masterpiece with, with the, the dramatic music yeah, from the, the music music drops, the drops the jar in the book <laughs> in the book so in the book uh, what's his name Ferguson takes her to the hospital and like she gets her stomach pumped. And she comes back, and she's wearing the same clothes, and she finds that she still has 23 tranquilizer tablets in her pockets <laughs> through all of that, through the falling, through the changing and out of clothes. No one checked her pockets. They're like, this girl tried to OD, and you're not going to check her pockets? <laughs> Just so she can what? OD again. <laughs> I know, dude. Yeah, so uh, she had Ah, uh, the 60s. Yeah. <laughs> There was a there was a scene when they were driving from Lexington, Kentucky, up to New York, and uh, and Benny and Beth are playing chess, just mentally, just saying the notation of the moves all the way through until they get up to to New York, and it was crazy how like if you're really that good at chess you just yeah. you just can picture in your head and they can play it all the way through just a knight yeah. to e5 <laughs> <laughs> if anyone tried to play with me mental edge be like knight to e5 <laughs> my queen's that. takes your rook <laughs> yeah King. i don't know where my pieces are anymore <laughs> wait start over start <laughs> On to Queen 3. <laughs> David, you've been saying the same move for the last five moves. Queen takes room. You don't have a queen. <laughs> Nowhere close. 
Yeah, but that is pretty realistic, though. <laughs> that that does get into. I mean, I, you know, I wasn't like a grandmaster level, but definitely they were like, oh, I like remember that move and then that move in that sequence, and then like the whole thing about Beth seeing the chessboard like on the ceiling. That doesn't like happen to me, but I definitely would zone out and like imagine chess like that. And so it's it was really cool to like see the visualization like that, because like when I was younger in my prime, I would just see checkerboard and then only think chess. Like it was like a <laughs> little bit of PTSD, like just looking at any checkered pattern. Yeah, so. I thought it was weird that it had to be on the ceiling, because there's even that scene, I think, in maybe one of the last episodes where she's trying to like she's she gets stuck but then she looks up and then now she knows how to do it i was like but the board is right in front of you <laughs> i don't i don't see the difference i think it's um, the comfort yeah. and tranquility of like <laughs> yeah. used to having tranquilizers in yes. her system it's character development you know plus it would <laughs> be upside nostalgia. down when you're looking it nostalgia. up yeah it's also upside down so it's like it's reverse Exactly, that's what she needs. She needs to see it upside down. Mm. Yeah. But also, I had a revelation right now, Ethan, about your upbringing in chess, and I just want to ask to clarify. Um, so you said that you guys played at a Burger King. Was it because <laughs> the king is a chess piece? <laughs> <laughs> Burger King? <laughs> the Burger King a chess piece? <laughs> the Burger King's gambit? <laughs> I'm so down for that. So down for that. Just like Photoshop my face onto the Burger King logo. Oh, it's so oh nice. How did chess work? Please get back into yeah. chess. I know. I mean, I not, honestly, you make me feel like that was the answer because I did not think about that. Until your day. dad the whole I time, your teacher the whole time, old. waiting for someone to say, "I know." Here because it's the Burger King scam. <laughs> Yes, yes. <laughs> Let me just give you whatever's in my pocket as a prize. Oh, thousand dollars. Jump change. Oh, you know. <laughs> All righty. Um, Are we only on the first question? question? <laughs> I know. <laughs> I'm here. Yeah, I guess I don't know. I want to. I want to. Okay, but like, yeah, that's also one of my favorite moments. Like when she's playing the the little kid. Um, and then after they adjourn, she comes back and she has all the moves figured out. So after she makes a move, she just walks away. Like, in just you know, every move, oh, you see him from across the room make a move? I'm gonna come back, make my move, walk away again. Because people actually do that. Like, that's something that people actually do in chess tournaments. That's the most, like, because in, in the tournament, you're basically in this big ballroom. And there's a bunch of tables of chess sets and, like, people playing chess, right? And it's very quiet. They, they maintain, like, a, you know, you can't talk, really. So all you hear is a bunch of clocks, chess moves. So you have to find ways to communicate sass. And that's one of the ways <laughs> chess players have discovered it. You know, a couple other ones are slamming your pieces when you move them. You know, like, since they have the clock, if you want to be really rude, you take a piece and then take it and slam, like, the clock. And like, yeah, I took your queen. <laughs> Some stuff like oh, that. Damn. So wow. there's like, these are like the subtle things in chess that like get people going, but that's really realistic. She's like, going. I know, I know. Like it's that's like the when, of like some WWE move. Doesn't she have Beltic or something? She's like, do you think I'm a prima donna? And it's like, we all are. It's chess. <laughs> oh yeah. It's true. <laughs> Very true. Yeah. Alrighty. <laughs> so, <laughs> let's get into some of the themes of 
Queen's Gambit. Um, one of the primary plot points of Queen's Gambit is that we're dealing with Beth, Elizabeth Harmon, who is both a genius in her own right as being the super child prodigy in chess, as well as being a female in a male-dominated sport, chess. So um, how does the story kind of play into that and develop her as a person as she weaves around rising through the ranks of chess until she gets to face off with Borgov in Moscow. I think it's interesting that it normally doesn't phase her at all, but she's like, like from the very beginning, she's like, why can't I learn this? And like from like even her first tournament, she's like, why are all the girls together? You know, it's like, not that she's oblivious or anything, but it just doesn't phase her and that she doesn't believe it's a big deal. Like, even when she talks about when she's on the Life magazine and mm-hmm. how, like, she's like, oh, all of it is just about me being a girl. And then her mom's like, oh, don't you know you're going to be a celebrity, all this stuff? And he's like, she's like, yeah, for being a girl. And so, like, she's just kind of like, why is that such a big deal? Because for her, it's just she just is obsessed and loves chess so much. I don't want to say love me, just obsessed with chess so much. Um, mm-hmm. And and so, like, I think it's very interesting that it, it creates all of this, like, emotion and energy in everyone else around her, and she just keeps doing her thing. Um, it's like girls feel inspired by her, guys feel threatened by her, everyone's just amazed because not only is she amazing, but she's also a girl, and she's here, and she's like, I don't want to just be someone who's good at chess for being a girl. She never said this, but like in through her action she has, she's like, I want to be the best. And so it's like right. really interesting that she kind of just like doesn't take that comparison into account like at all. She just wants to be the best. Yeah, I think, like, one of the interesting things, I think, that I was really proud of when watching the show was everyone's a very good sportsman about getting beat by her. You know, everyone always applauds, they always shake hands, it's very polite, and they always recognize how talented she is at the game, Um, which I think, like, definitely goes to show how, like, much respect she earned by people just through her sheer skill, you know? Um, and you know and in just like real life chess too you know you often don't really care who you're playing right they always say the term when you're learning how to play chess you play the board not the person so you just look at the board you play your pieces and that sort of stuff and that really epitomizes that you know everyone's impressed by how good she is not necessarily because she's a girl but because like she takes names you know she doesn't really take that many l's um and so i think that does a lot of like you know, yeah, like, it doesn't really matter, like, if you're a guy or a girl. It matters that you're more passionate about this, that you have the skill, that you've worked hard and you've developed it, you know. And so that really is, is I think, one of the stories of it. Because um, I don't think there were many necessarily, like, characters that were necessarily, like, dedicating themselves to putting her down because of, like, the fact she was a girl, you know. Everyone was always, like, rooting for her. They always, like, saw her more as a chess player before that. Um, but, you know, like like Meg was saying, like with Life magazine and trying to like spin it up as this, oh, girl prodigy, you know, and focusing more on that when she just, she just wants to play chess, you know. It was also interesting just how much she was able to get people like impressed with her skill. Whenever she would beat them, they would like people would really recognize her talent. What was it? You even have like Annette Packer at the very beginning. She she's like, I know you're going places, and she comes back 
to do a tournament back in Lexington. And then she, um, Annette appears like, wow, I've been following you so much. I'm glad that you're able to, um, you were able to beat me because I know you were going to be such a great chess player. And she ended up being so much inspired by her as being a, a fellow girl who's also being in, in the chess world. So it, it kind of helped her like, to, to like stick with it, even though, um, what was it? Ends up inspiring like other people like, hey, I can do it too. Yeah, that girl from the first tournament, she even said that she was going to med school. Like, she was inspired by her passion to, like, do something else, which, when you think about in the 60s, it's like, girls didn't go to med school. So it's like, that's kind of something that I didn't think about until now, how big of a deal that that line actually was. Um, And seeing, like, Beth, like, even in Russia, it's like in, in the USSR at the time, it's like all these women so inspired to, like, watch this game that was primarily for men yeah and the, the book the book came out in like the the 80s so even then that that kind of stuff was like like slowly taking traction but then um it, it really ended up kind of like showing like how how women were able to like do this these kind of things even though like the society at the time wasn't really mm-hmm. like that <laughs> Yeah, um, and I, it's like just thinking about it now too. I think there's like an interesting commentary to kind of pull out because like comparing Beth to a lot of the other female characters in the show, I think there's like that cool contrast between her, who's this rogue kind of person pursuing her passions and not really going with the status quo. Because um, you know, you go back to that scene in high school where she's invited to that party and they're like talking about boys and listening to pop music and that sort of stuff, and she's very clearly like, "That's not my thing." You know, like, I just like playing chess. You know, that was kind of me, too. I was like, I just like playing chess. You know, I'm not really into pop music and that sort of stuff. I just like this thing. Um, and comparing that to, like, the later scene where they meet up again, like, in, in the department store or whatever, and she has a baby now, like... And tons of alcohol. Um, like, yeah, and, like, tons of alcohol, you know, suggesting other things. And, like, you know, there's, like, the contrast of her, who's kind of, like, this successful chess player who pursued her passions to this, you know, kind of status quo, I'm a housewife, I have a child, and that sort of stuff, which, you know, it is what it is, but I think that's a definite, like, contrast between the two, that she's very different because she's willing to pursue her passions in a way that other people aren't. And not to say being a housewife is anything bad because, you know, right, God calls right. you to different things, um, but we're but what we are looking at is the amount of alcohol she has, which <laughs> shows that no. she No, I'm serious, but which shows that she's not happy, right? So then the real yeah. contrast is it being successful for versus, versus being a housewife, but it's like, even though Beth was also, you know, addict, alcoholic, but it's like... Right. I think that was the one time where you kind of saw them being in the same place. Like, mm-hmm. there was some kind of emptiness they were both feeling. Um, yeah. Because they were both buying tons of alcohol, the same guy. <laughs> um, but anyways, like, looking at how it's, like, in that time, it's, like, a lot of women felt very trapped. And so, like, right. you see you see Beth having this freedom that she has. And, like, I guess it's for, for me, it's, like, I'm always, like, keen to these things because I'm, I'm, I'm a woman, right? But, like, seeing all, like, the different 
um, kind of stereotypes that they like pulled out or like the different insults to women that they said like even like like freaking Alston he like he like tells the wife when he's like leaving he's like you don't need the car you can't you're stuck at driving anyways and the doctor yeah. says you need exercise basically calling her fat right and so it's like all like the different things or like even like the mother before she was on board with chess she was like shouldn't she be doing other things like joining a social club or like all the stuff or like assuming she wanted the money for clothes versus like a chess versus a chess tournament which eventually she got into clothes she ended up being a shopaholic too which is like always comes part and parcel she liked the finer addiction, things but <laughs> the clothes was great i loved the clothes i did love the clothes we actually yeah. like, we, we binge watched it in one day basically but during the daytime because uh-huh. we're adults but we did absolutely love there was like this emerald velvet dress she wore in russia and we were like Dude. bring it back because we were like so obsessed right. with it it was a great dress all that was a that was a big thing in the behind the scenes too. Like they they really got like a really good like costume designer to Dude. get all of Beth's fashion on point, and it, they also were explaining like how you see her age and like how she matures through her clothes. Mm-hmm. Like she starts out with just like a simple like uniform, like everyone else at the orphanage, to like um. A, like a raggy dress to like and then she start as she starts getting more successful in the tournament she mm-hmm. gets like really nice clothes going on and i think it's i think it's interesting that's that they use the same actress from when she's 13 to when she's 18 like i think that's an interesting choice because no one else changes <laughs> actors like jolene's the same actress yeah. from when she's like not like t- like 13 to like freaking like whatever 20 something it's like no one else changes actors or actresses. Everyone's the same except for Beth. At 13, all of a sudden she's a woman. <laughs> I like how they showed, um, I can't remember his name, but the guy that worked at the orphanage. Ferguson. Ferguson, the guy that would give out the pills. The guy who gave yeah. the pills? Yeah. I yes. like how they showed his age by just giving him like a mustache <laughs> or something. Or like a <laughs> Time has passed. <laughs> What was it? Let, let's explore a little bit more about the, the genius part. We see Beth as like this child genius from the very beginning. I mean, case in point, they take her to a high school. She ends up playing 12 people simultaneously and beats all of them multiple times. And then she's there, like, eating a bunch of chocolates. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, they were just I was throwing by how much out. they sucked. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <I know. laughs> I'm telling you, young Beth is amazing. <laughs> I'm kind of on board now. I kind of right? agree with David. And then at the end of that scene, she's like, you can eat the rest of them. And she just walks away. You like... could have the rest of the chocolate. <laughs> amazing. Chef's kid. Yeah. Young Beth. How does she, how do we see her as like this genius in her own field, but, and how does that compare to like how we see like geniuses in like popular culture? Like we had these people who were like very great, um, like their, their careers were amazing, but then mm-hmm. all the stuff, all the stuff going on around them was like right. up in flames. Yeah, for sure. Right. Because I think with most, like, geniuses, like, in their craft, that's, like, all they can think about, right? And it's, like, 
when you when you like study most people who are like experts in their craft they end up having something effed up in their life like some kind of addiction for some reason because like they're just that obsessive with whatever they're doing and it's like you see that with you see that with um beth um and not until she meets benny does she realize that she's not alone in that because even when she's with beltic like she gets frustrated because Beltic can't see the things she's seeing on the board. And he gets frustrated that he can't see what she says. She's like, he's just like, you're just too sharp for me, okay? Like, it's just, just leave me alone. Like, you're just too sharp, man. It's <laughs> too good for me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Move into my apartment. It's fine. I'm not living here anymore. I'm going to become an engineer. You're older than I can. <laughs> I I'm going to have a normal life. You have a normal life. I get it. I get it. I'm not as smart as you. Um, and I feel like with like a lot of people who are geniuses in their craft, it's like kind of the same thing. It's like all of it just comes naturally. They see something that no one else sees. And that frustration of like feeling alone in that leads to a lot of other things until they find someone equally as, as brilliant. Um, like when you think about, I think about um, if anyone's ever watched Jingle Jangle. Has anyone watched Jingle Jangle? Pretty, pretty good. Forrest Whitaker in a musical. I'm just saying. Uh, all the music's written by John Legend. Just you know. Anyone? Okay. Anyways, uh, <laughs> watch it. It's a great Christmas movie. Still Christmas for Catholics. <laughs> Um, but anyway, so they have this Still thing. Still got a few more days. Yeah, they have this <laughs> thing where, like, like Forrest Whitaker and, like, his, like, daughter and granddaughter, they can, like, see numbers or, like, they have, there's, like, this spirit in them that, like, only they can see. Like, and so, like, they, they have this genius in them. So that's what kind of, like, imagine when I think of geniuses. Like, they see something no one else can see. Like, they see lights in the sky. They see the chessboard on the ceiling. They see someone no one else can see. Or something, maybe someone too, I don't know. <laughs> something no one else can see, right? It's like, with the musicians, they can hear things no one else can hear, like, envision, you know, like, music that no one else can possibly think of. Like, I think of, like, Thundercat, or I think of, like, Robert Glasper Experiment, all the same thing. But, yeah, like, seeing seeing things that I could never see as a person because I'm not a musician. But, you know, like, that's what you think of with those geniuses. They see someone no one else can see, and that can be liberating and it also can possibly be lonely yeah i mean going back to like some of our previous episodes you kind of see a lot of that with like hamilton and um pt barnum like they're never satisfied with what but then their mind's like running round the clock trying to go like i have this new idea i gotta do it i gotta go 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 and the people around him get uh, both of these characters get like super like concerned with them. It's like, isn't what was it? Eliza like, isn't this enough? <laughs> <laughs> what? Do it again, Mark. Do it. <laughs> isn't Hold this on, enough? From the, top, from the top, from the top, Mark. Can I get you that one more time? Satisfied, satisfied. <laughs> <laughs> Congratulations! You just you just made yourself a sample for my next lo-fi album. <laughs> Yes. <laughs> That's all I ever wanted, Ethan. <laughs> we have Patreon here of just like Ethan's no. like samples from shows turned into songs. Yeah. I just want to make Matt's yeah. laugh trap like my my ringtone. It's what I want. Merry yeah, Christmas, Meg. In the morning. Anyone? <laughs> wink, wink. <laughs> If you like that ringtone, join us on Patreon. <laughs> you Patreon. can also find slash Mark's Th- rendition of Not Enough turned into <laughs> since the 80s. 
<laughs> also, if you want to support me, David, you can hit me up on Venmo. <laughs> <laughs> Just some, Everyone... some chump change from any chess fans out there. Just <laughs> <laughs> Pay off my loans. Anyone? No? I'm just gonna get hit by Alexa. It's fine. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> oh man, that got dark. <laughs> I know. Anyway. This show, actually, that's how I felt about Queen's Gambit when it started, and then they started doing the drugs. I was like, whoa, this got dark, and it just like continued um with the drugs thing which was not i did not anticipate that but it was like basically a whole episode where she's like at home drinking yeah it's really sad yeah i mean that kind of goes into the next thing we're going to talk about how does the story explore the best struggles like with her i mean she got a broken childhood she has already an obsessive personality and she got like lots of addictions going on and then she also has like this like very unstable like emotional state just dealing with all the crap that she has to deal with in her life so have at it (laughs) (laughs) so i think okay this is an interesting question for me because i think i can tie this in with my own experience with chess um so a little bit diving deep into more personal territory chess was like my father's son sport you know like this was, chess was a thing that i used to do with my dad um and to a degree you know it, like at first it starts off as like oh you know very pure like you know we play chess want to get better and that sort of thing but eventually it turned into one of those toxic things where it's like oh well i feel like i'm not validated until i'm good at this game sort of thing um and so you know for a while it set me down on that very beth Harmon like obsessive dedication to get better and you make mistakes and you're like no like i need to get better and you get really angry when you take losses and all that sort of stuff um so that side of it is very real you know i think one of the things that chess can do is like growing up with it there is no other thing to blame when you make those moves other than your own mental process you know every move you make you make because you thought it was the best choice right whether that be you know through sober mindedness or maybe you're just reckless and other things or other factors um but yeah so that was like my experience with chess too it's like you know you do go through that chasing perfection wanting to make the best moves every time and chase like i want to be perfect you know and for me my motivation was like i want to motivate like i want to impress my dad you know i want my, my dad's love and that sort of stuff for beth i think it's this like i just need to like i need to be really really good you know it's that obsessive thing um, and, you know, her as a character, she has a lot of baggage, right? She has a lot of things going on. Um, but this is actually really interesting because while I was, like, while we're doing the podcast, I just Googled who the patron saint of chess is, and we actually do have one. Um, so, cool fact. Um, but St. Teresa of Avila what? is the patron saint of chess. What? Um, for, huh. I don't know. I mean, <laughs> I'm doing a little bit of reading <laughs> on it. <laughs> like... That's yeah, I mean, it's but she talked about like making an analogy of chess to a little bit of like the spiritual walk with the Lord, you know, learning to be disciplined, learning to be sober minded and making all these decisions, being humble and, you know, all of some other, other sorts of stuff. And this is what I get from my quick, like glancing my speed reading of this article. Um, but yeah, I think like in, in my personal life and in the life of Beth Harmon, there's a lot of like um, duality between her trying to be better as a person and her like um wanting to be good in the game i think once benny comes in one of the reasons he's my favorite character is that like 
he comes in he's like no you got to clean up you know no more alcohol no more no more pills and anything like you got to clean up right and so there is a little bit of that like similarity where you have to be disciplined in order to be good at the game you know you have to be very dedicated you have to be very um careful like not even just in the game but also outside because like you know even when i was competing your your physical state like affects how you play the game a lot you know it definitely like mirrors like you know whether you're sleep deprived whether you're dehydrated these are all things that really play into it um and so for benny to come in and be like yeah you need to like take care of yourself too you know take care of yourself that'll make you a better player um you know mirroring that in terms of Avila, like you have to be disciplined right take care of yourself um learn how to how to make good decisions right chess is the game of good decisions you know chess is all about learning and analyzing and discerning what is the best thing to do right every every turn every move that's what it is you're trying to make the best move right and so there's a lot of cool things in life and um like in beth and having to deal with all these sorts of things but ultimately like she wants to get good at chess but also having to deal with these things in her own personal life to be better too so Amazing. Let's just end it there. That was it. This is truly <laughs> This is truly Ethan. <laughs> I was excited for this episode. I've been waiting all week, guys. I'm like, I gotta enjoy this. I'm like, oh my god, we're doing an episode about chess. It's really funny because so always you just, makes fun of me. So when we at, when we said that we're doing an episode of chess, you said, Oh yes, we're gonna do chess. Never watch we're gonna do it. Chess. For like a month, and then the day before you go, oh crap, I should watch. <laughs> it's okay. You always need that person. It's okay. Procrastinators unite. This is yes, yes. We will make oh, it fun. eventually. Right. Somehow. Yes. Somehow. Yeah, some maybe way. tomorrow. Yeah. <laughs> but no, that's that's beautiful though, Ethan. Thank you for sharing that. That was awesome. I really like that. I just want to hug you, but you're... yes, I'll send you a burrito. Oh, dude, I just the closest one. thing to a hug is a burrito. A burrito from Meg. Okay. The closest thing to a hug is a burrito from Meg. <laughs> <laughs> nice. Yeah. Uh, another interesting thing was that you saw the same obsession, like obsessive mm-hmm. personality in Beth as her mother, Alice. Right. Except for, for Alice's case... She was this brilliant mathematician. She was like a professor, like a university. There was like, a, you see shots of her, um, of her thesis book, of her dissertation, and she is like, has the same kind of like, like speech patterns and like thought patterns with her mathematics as Beth does with chess. And it gets kind of scary at the point um, because you have flashbacks during her little like. Um, uh, throughout the series, but especially during the part when she's like, like just downing alcohol and tranquilizers, and right before Jolene shows up and said, "What? <laughs> Who is this child? <laughs> Who is this?" Because <laughs> she she flashes back to that, and then mm-hmm. um, she kind of faces like this this fork in the road, like somewhere like around that time. Was like, "Am I gonna go?" toward the same path as my mom or am right. I going to try to like overcome this? That's when Jolene comes in and then right. brings her back to her childhood at right. the the orphanage to remind her what got her there in the first place. Right. Yeah. It was interesting when they went back and 
there was like the choir was singing like a Latin hymn and it was like really nice and then like when you think about it it's like Beth never actually learned any of the hymns because whenever it was Sunday she was playing chess yeah. <laughs> with uh, Mr. Shavo. Mr. Actually. Oh, okay. In the book you see that after the tranquilizer OD incident she was banned from playing chess for like mm. the last three oh, years right. of her right. stay at the orphanage. So she didn't see Mr. Scheibel and she was forced to go to chapel and like early, like 30 minutes early to help set up chairs. And she had to take notes and put a report after every service. So mm. I don't wow. think you should ever use scripture as punishment for children. Like I'm a religion teacher. <laughs> yeah. and, like I'm, I'm morality and social justice, right? I, I don't think making them go to mass should be a punishment. <laughs> Because just pastorally, that's just wrong. It's just, yeah. no. Right. We're not in the business of making them hate God. <laughs> or right, should. right. Just have them play Monopoly with rents. Just play Monopoly with rents. <laughs> 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 like, Miss say this is weird. Why am I in Zoom with your brother? I'm just like, I just played the game. <laughs> as far as, like, student punishment, my favorite is the Bart Simpson, you know? Just write it on the chalkboard <laughs> 20 times. <laughs> Yeah. My favorite punishment is giving them a good talking to and telling them how one little thing that they thought was a joke can ruin their future relationships. Wow. Oh my god. <laughs> Too real. Too real. I had to do that with some sophomores. Never let me teach sophomores. I don't want them. I don't want them. I teach juniors. Maybe seniors. I was uh, I was going to bring up that um that interview with a life reporter where she comes in and tries to extrapolate all these crazy things about her past and how she was like an orphan, right? And like, oh, do you see that in like a queen and like the king and this father figure and that sort of stuff? And I was like, you were really reaching here. (laughs) Searching for a story. She's literally just like, I just want to play chess. Like, why should that matter? You know? I just like chess. (laughs) Yeah. And like, I I really like what she said where it's like, I think the reporter said something along the lines of like accusing her of like trying to find meaning in in things that like don't have meaning in them. Or I don't remember like the specific phrase she said, but yeah, I think she accused Beth of like, oh, you know, some people find meaning in things that have no meaning. But Beth was like, you know, sometimes chess isn't just a game. Chess can be beautiful too. Um, and I think that can that really resonated with me personally because like growing up, I, I learned, I eventually learned to, like, to hate chess, because I was like, you know, I attached it to all the negative stuff. Um, but, like, coming back to it, sober-minded and having, you know, healed and cope with everything, I really appreciate it, you know? There's a lot of beauty to be found in it, um, and it's really, really nice to, to have that fresh eye on it. And so I really relate to Beth in that sense, where it's like, you know, this game really is beautiful, and you learn a lot, you know, from from all of that sort of stuff. Ethan, how do you feel about, because I, I thought it was really interesting the conversation she would have with her mother about her being an intuitive player, but then eventually, mm-hmm. like, buying into, like, studying more. Like, she read the books, but when right. she played, she was, like, very intuitive. So, like, for you as a chess player, what is that relationship between, like, intuition and, like, also, like, mm-hmm. studying and training and all those things? So, I think... It is really important because I think in the higher levels, people kind of classify themselves as, you know, like that intuitive person or like, you know, the person who's in the books all the time, right? Like the natural genius versus the person who knows all the theory. Um, I think in the early stages, like at least in my chess career, I was not very gifted in terms of like, 
you know, finding the natural best move. Like, I just didn't see things. Every once in a while, you have a flash of genius. But one of the things about chess is, like, everybody is so obsessed about memorizing and, and learning openings and, you know, all these crazy turns, like Nimzo Indian, Karo Khan, Perk Defense, Queen's Gambit, different lines, you know, King's Indian Defense. There's all these crazy terms that people put on things. And, you know, to an extent... It is true that everyone's a little bit of a prima donna because you have to be like we put names in our openings because we have like this is what it's called. Like, <laughs> um, yeah, and we just we decided that when you make this, like it's what it is. And if you don't know the name, like people look down on you. <laughs> like you know, so to an extent, like it is very true that some people are very naturally gifted. I was not one of those people. You know, um, I had to you know really study. I had to like look at books. I had to you know you have to read a lot because. You know, back when I was younger, like there wasn't a lot of online material other than puzzles and stuff. But yeah, it is definitely a lot of hard work. You know, I I didn't put in that much work as a kid. You know, I didn't know like uh, all the openings and all the names and all this crazy theory and stuff because I was very aggressive. You know, I was kind of I was like the more disciplined Mark, where I just wanted to go in, right? So I was, yours probably oh, yeah, works better than mine. Honey glazed, yeah. properly prepared. <laughs> exactly, honey glazed ham. <laughs> I'm the Oscar Mayer. Oscar Mayer. <laughs> Bologna. Bologna. Oh. Exactly. What is Bologna made up? I don't know. But, that's yeah, the point. I, that's, another, that's another episode. <laughs> <laughs> Truly universal. This episode, Bologna. That's Fam and Fed. We're stealing their thunder <laughs> if we do that. I just want to yeah. say at this point in the show that so we're talking about intuitive and versus studied, and me and Mark we were definitely intuitive players. So yeah, <laughs> yeah. It, it, it kind of reminds me of like Myers Briggs. Mm-hmm. Yeah, like, I mean, oh, yeah, it wasn't like... good, but you know, we were still intuitive. <laughs> yes, <Yeah>. exactly. <laughs> <laughs> <a> flawed intuition. <laughs> yeah. And I think, like, the thing is, like, because chess engines and computers have advanced so much, there is very much this sense of there is a correct move. You know, like, we can put it into the computers and they can analyze and this is, like, the right move. And so that is, like, the obsessive part, to know that there is a perfect decision Mm. and to, like, want to try to make it all the time. You have to be crazy for it. Um, But, yeah, in higher levels, like... Man, people are insane. Like I was I was mediocre to be honest, but like in higher levels when they play like blitz games, which they briefly touch upon in the show, where you just, you know, one after the other dish out moves and stuff, like a lot of the times people memorize the first few best moves. So because like, you know, they're crazy. And like I never did that. I didn't like I was like 11. I don't want to sit down and like look at this chessboard <laughs> and be like, after you do that, you do that. But if they do this, you do that. And it's like this flowchart thing and it's like, okay. But if you really want to be good, you have to know all those things because everyone else knows those things too. You know? And so there is that thing about like you can have intuition, but you need to back it up with discipline and studying and analyzing people who who were, you know, who were good in chess before you. So That's awesome. I think something the show inspired me there's like a desire I had a long time ago to be able to like play chess to a point where I could just go to one of those tables in New York with those old dudes and just like play a game or Russia <laughs> or Russia or spoiler alert Moscow. Um, <laughs> um no but that that would be a lot of fun and I don't know I don't know Ethan if you've ever done that or... I have nice. once or twice. It, it's, it was on my bucket list. So when I went yeah. to New York, I was like, 
mom, I have to go to like, you know, whatever the park is called and play chess. And then like she followed me and she's all sweaty and like we just walked hella far from the hotel. I know. I know, like, and she's like, okay. <laughs> How old were you when this happened? Oh, this was like a couple years ago. This was like... <laughs> oh, okay. Like I was ago. thinking I, you like, know. this was like yeah. eight-year-old, oh, no, ten-year-old. No. <laughs> I wanted to be eight-year-old Ethan, so schmark, okay? Like, in my mind, it's eight-year-old Ethan, just like has a backpack, just wore a backpack, and a track jacket. It's a, it's a different actor, though. Like, like young Beth, it's a different actor. So. No, it's, it's, it's Ethan with bangs. It's Ethan with terrible bangs. Yes. Oh my god. And a bowl cut. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. But yeah, I, that is true though. People do do that. I did it once or twice. It was really fun. Nice. Yeah. Do you did you put up money or you just played? Oh man. Again? No. <laughs> He's no. like I put up a thousand. Put up a thousand. <laughs> <laughs> Pocket change. You know. Oh, you know. Yeah. That's awesome. Alright. So the big external conflict that goes on in Queen's Gambit is Beth versus Vasily Burgov, the the say famous it again, Russian Burgov, Burgov, Liz Harman From... versus Vasily Burgov. <laughs> <laughs> yes. Do it again! Do it again! <laughs> we should have like Street Fighter music versus <laughs> round one fight. <laughs> A remix, just a 80s remix. I just imagine, you know how radio stations they have celebrities like say the same thing over again, like the the radio yeah. handle, like everybody just says Borgolf, like in their own. Yeah, that's their Vasily producer tag. Borgolf. You know, some people have mustard on the beat. We have Borgolf. <laughs> Sounds like Stroganov. Stroganov. To all of our Russian fans, I'm, sorry. I'm so sorry. We only have one Russian fan, I'm pretty sure the butt puts We mean no disrespect. Yes. All love here. What was it? What were we talking about? Oh, yeah. Silly Borgov. Borgov. You're the man with the questions, Mark. So, You're the question man. I know, right? <laughs> It's because of Vasily Burgos, his name. (laughs) Can we we just call the episode, Vasily Burgos is the Burger King's game day. (laughs) Burgos plays Burger King's Gambit. Burgos plays Knight to E5. You said Pikachu. Burger King's Gambit. The Y'all need to watch the SNL with Adam Driver about BK jokes. Yes. Oh, man. Watch it. Nine out of I'm, ten. I'm gonna have a hell of a time editing this. <laughs> <laughs> okay. Hey Ethan, Ethan, keep all of them. <laughs> Raw, unedited. It's what the Vesely people Borgo. want. Yeah. You should just have like all your uncut, uncut stuff. It should be like Ethan's Deli. On the corner. Ethan's Deli. <laughs> Mark is baloney. <laughs> yes. I am Oscar Meyer. Grade A. Grade A. Grade A Oscar. Grade A Oscar Meyer. <laughs> uh, Ethan is the honey baked ham. <laughs> honey baked ham. Wow. Can I be the roast beef? That's my favorite. I just want to be garlic mashed potatoes because I know what you mean. <laughs> 
<laughs> Yo, garlic mashed potatoes go. They they smack. They go off. Yes, they are. Mess with off. That. They do. A W F. Board go off. Board go off. Rich is gonna listen to this. <laughs> we have a. <laughs> He's gonna be like, I'm never letting you guys do this again. I know. And imagine, like, in, like a mashed potato commercial. My name is Vesely Borgo, and I condone this message. Like, <laughs> condone means you don't. Right? Oh, oh wait. You don't. I, I, I support this message. <laughs> it's still good. What is it's the topic? Nice. All right. Yeah. What draws Beth? <laughs> <laughs> I can't even say it. Smooth transition. Give us the question, question man. <laughs> what finally allows Beth to beat Burgos in the in the match? In I don't know. Moscow? Did she cheat? Because basically all of her friends helped <laughs> her. <laughs> but... Well, she. Well, he had friends too. He had the. Yeah. Yes. So they all cheated. Thick Albert Einstein-looking guy. <laughs> yeah, Latenko. Was it Latenko? Sorry, I'm still looking at Ferb. He He was an absolute unit. <laughs> that was awesome. Um, no, actually, that during that scene when she was kind of like on the phone and they were all trying to help her. I was honestly nervous for her. I was like, why are you getting help from all the people you beat? You know, like, why are you taking advice from these losers? This is literally the first thing he said, okay? This is not you. This is just David. This is the first thing you said when we were watching. I was very concerned. He's like, you're better than all these people. Why are you going to listen to them? Exactly. Man. I think so Kanye funny. said, I don't take advice from anybody less successful than me. I was like, come on, Ben. Come on. Use your intuition. But the only other person she could ask is Borgov. <laughs> and he's already talking to his Russian buddies, like, yeah. all right, this is what happens. Yes. His comrades. His comrades. comrades. You're right. This is Soviet, you, oh, Soviet Russia. So. Everybody play pawn to King Four. Levertrov. Yes, uh, there was a cool comparison where they made it, um, because they were what was it? Dang, I couldn't remember. Was it the short guy? The the was it the guy at the at Las Vegas or someone else? Someone was talking about how after adjournments you'd go to your second to go ask for advice, and it was kind of cool because then what was it? A couple months we were talking about Hamilton, and you had the whole the song from like the Ten Dual Commandments, where you 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 have your second your 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 right hand man to like help you, like assess the situation, get you ready to like go um, guns a blazing, and it was kind of cool. Like you had the, like the same thing, but with chess, um, and it kind of draws out the thing that. Beth was so focused on trying to beat, um, why am I, Burgov, of course. Burgov. Burgov. <laughs> why did I blank out on his name? But she needed, like, a community backing her up in order to yeah. beat him. Because with all the other tournaments 
that she she went through she was able to like do it all on her own and like spectacularly right but it actually took like a community behind her to actually help her finally get over the hump which is a big contrast to like the the sort of like the the genius mentality that she grew up all around where she was the she was the bright and shining star and that everyone like like the kanye comment earlier is like why would you listen to anyone below you you got it uh she was able to like finally get something to draw her out of herself in order to to overcome one of her biggest challenges I think she also had to see Borgoff getting help to realize that she could ask for help. Because you kind of mm-hmm. idolized him in her mind, like, this was my next goal to be obsessed with, is to be Borgoff. Like, Borgoff. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I think her uh, getting help at the end, it was kind of like all of her character ve- all of her character development was just there in the last episode. She's kind of, like, very similar throughout the whole series just kind of beating all these people by herself and then now finally at the end she realizes that she needs help and she accepts it and so that was actually really good and even though she beat all those people she learned something new from each of those people um Mm -hmm. and i think like when i was watching it and i see that i'm having this emotional moment where i'm like oh he's back and like this is like it took me back to what she learned from him and then i have david next to me just like why is she asking all these people she beat for help? And I'm just like, <laughs> I was just having a moment. I know. She was like, oh, Benny. <laughs> Benny Cole. Oh, Benny's back. And Beltic's there? Wow. Yeah. Eskimo Brothers. Dude. You know, like. Yeah. <laughs> I definitely they were all there like... in the creepy apartment. Yeah. <laughs> I, I was definitely on your track, Meg. I was like, wow, they're all there. And then part of me was like, but how did, why did they cut, like, they, they don't know each other. Like, how did they, they like, do, they're all about the happen? chess fam. The American chess yes. fam. They all met at Burger King at one point or another. <laughs> <laughs> it's the Liz Harmon fan club. <laughs> exactly. Yeah. But I think, like, one of the themes throughout the story, I think, is definitely, like, family, you know, um, since she is an orphan and, you know, not necessarily that, like, I think she looks for, like, mother or father figures, but I think she, like, um, needs people to help her along and learn how to, to, to take care of herself and to grow because of that. And I think one of the things that the show does very well is kind of like what Meg was saying, like, each character teaches her something, you know, whether that's in the game or outside the game, um, and both really contribute to her, like, you know, her well-being. And I think that mirrors a lot of, like, you know, the spiritual life, too. Like, we have community, we have the church, you know, and these are all things that are meant to remind us that you know we are not walking alone you know and beth was very talented she she had all the intuition she was smart she was dedicated she studied on her own but she needed like the support of other people um and that community behind her to really bring out her full potential um yeah and i think that is a lot like the church you know that the support base of you can do it by yourself yeah and, and you will be successful but you know, you thrive in community where people are behind you and supporting you. So, definitely, like there's always something to 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 learn. Like I feel like the people I, you know, like as like a religion teacher, as like a theology student, the people I worry most about are the people that don't have a church or a group to be a part of. Like the people that aren't 
um, speaking to others about their faith or their spirituality who think like, oh, I got this, like are too prideful to ask anyone else because they're like, oh, I've seen things in the Bible that other people haven't. Like I've, I have friends like that who like who are like, oh, I don't I don't go to church because, you know, like I've read the Bible. I've talked to God like he's told me things no one else mm-hmm. can. Like, why do I need anyone else? It's just me and God. Right. And it's like. No, because in the also in the Bible, because you've read it so many times and memorized it, it says two, when two or three are gathered together, you're one, not two. I know you know the Bible, but do you know math? Um, <laughs> That's you know, funny. So, it's like, <laughs> not one, not two, but three. Yeah. <laughs> or more. Um, so yeah, it's like I, I think for all of us, like when we're on our faith journey, it's like we have to remember that we aren't called to do this on our own. Like, we're called to be in relationship with one another. Like, that's what God wants. Like, Jesus wasn't even alone. Like, you know, even though, like, he was, you know, you put a genius tear on him. Like, he wasn't alone. Like, he had the apostles. And even even amongst the apostles, he had, like, his two best friends that came with him when he prayed um, at the Agony in the Garden, right? And so it's, like, this isn't, this, like, life isn't meant to be lived alone, and right. our relationship with God isn't meant to be done alone, you know? And so it's like, I think bringing it also back to uh, when we're talking about intuitive versus, like, like textbook players, it's like, that's kind of how it is with, like, our spirituality, too. It's like, mm-hmm. there's many people that are really rigid, and there's people that are, you know, we'd say more, like, spiritual than religious, right? And so... Um, but like having that proper balance of both is extremely important. Um, there's so many, um, people that are like, like at this game of life as a game of this black and white, like black squares, white squares in the book, it's green square, green squares and beige, beige squares. <laughs> and I was like, that's not nearly as compelling as black and white, but okay. Yeah. Um, and we Most see like, are actually like that. <laughs> we see, we see with like Beth, it's like, she went from needing things to be very black and white and like. Like, at what you were saying, Ethan, about being a chess player, like, always feeling like you need to find the perfect decision. And if you find anything less than that, then you you lose a sense of worth. And it's like, we think about with our spirituality, like, how many Catholics think that everything they do has to be the perfect decision. Like, you know, it's like when you're, like, a leader in a youth ministry, it's like you feel like everything you do has to be the perfect decision or else someone's going to come after mm-hmm. you or, like, or you lose credibility in the things that you share. Um, and so, like, it can be really harmful to to that relationship. Like, I'm sure, like, Ethan, you were talking. I don't want to, like, put words in your mouth. But, you're, like, as yeah. you are talking, it just reminded me, like, when you're saying, like, you started to hate chess for a little bit. And it's yeah, like when right. we look at life or when we look at spirituality or if we think that God wants us to constantly make the perfect, the perfect decision every time, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. like that hatred or that resentment we have towards the church, towards our faith group, towards our oldies group, towards God, like all of that's on us. It's not on those right. people. It's not right. on God. It's on our idea that we have to do the absolute perfect decision all the time. And I tell this to my students all the time. I teach morality. Everyone's like, why are you teaching morality high schoolers? That's like the worst job ever. And I'm just like, thanks. (laughs) 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 Thanks. Um, I love it. (laughs) Um, But when I'm teaching them about morality and social justice, I'm telling them, like, it's not black and white. And, you know, like, so many of them come into my class and I ask them, I always ask them in the beginning of a survey, I'm like, what do you want to learn? What do you want to get out of this class? And... 
I've, done, I've been teaching this class for three years now, and every time it's like half the class is like, I just want to know what makes a good decision a good decision. Like, how mm-hmm. do I have good morality? And I tell them, I'm like, look, everyone, people ask me this question every year, and all I can tell you is that I can't tell you what's a good or bad decision. Um, mm-hmm. I can't tell you what's the perfect decision to make in a situation because there's so many other things I could take into account. And if you're constantly thinking about what is the perfect decision to make, you know, like if you're just going to be deontologist all the way, if you're just going to follow Immanuel Kant and just follow the rules regardless, like, you know, like if you're just going to follow the rules regardless, and yeah. like even if it ends up with a bad outcome, then it's like whatever consequence you have, it's like that's on you. And so like the world, like our life, our spirituality, all of it's not black and white. And I think that's something right. that, like, Beth learns along the way in terms of chess. Like, even though chess is, like, black and white, it's, like, life isn't. And mm-hmm. she can't let that, you know, take her down. Because I feel like when things in life stop being black and white is when she starts turning to those addictions. Mm-hmm. Um, when, like, yeah. And so, you know, like, with our spirituality, when it comes to, to church, when it comes to faith, when it comes to prayer, all that stuff, like... Not every prayer is going to be perfect. Not every decision we make mm. is going to be perfect. None of it is black and white. Um, right. But it's like, it's all a journey. It's all progress, not perfection. <laughs> not on this side of heaven, at least, right? So. <laughs> yeah. I don't remember if the first time she played Borgov, Borgov, I don't know if the first time she played him, <laughs> if she had the pills or was she taking the pills at that point? Um, she was, I think. That yes. was in, in France, right? I think it was, it was it the one that she was late to? I think it may have yes. been. Because then she, oh no, you're right, because she takes the pills. That's like the how the yes. how the series opens mm-hmm. and then also comes back to like episode right, right. six or something. Because she also had them in Mexico too. Yeah, that's mm-hmm. right. So I was thinking like, you know, she couldn't beat Borg, Borgov the first time around and she was relying on like this you know on the pills which is obviously a bad source but then when it comes to like the final match with borgov she relies now on her friends it's like this is mm-hmm. this is a good way this is a better way and it kind of helps her more more than the pills could could have and right. it kind of like as you guys were talking it made me think of like just this like analogy of like prayer of like God's always there and he's always going to have like um, some kind of solution to offer you. But you have to make that phone call like you have to Mm -hmm. to make the phone call or you have to answer the phone call and uh, (laughs) and take the advice. Right. And and, um, and that's kind of an analogy just towards what happened with Beth and talking to all the uh, the chess players. They all had the best of help for her at the end mm-hmm. yeah i also think about like like her dependence on on those pills and like i think about like as as like catholics or christians there's so many times we're, de- we're dependent on these like external things for our prayer and for our communication with god mm-hmm. like mm-hmm. we i mean not to like didn't like not to like talk it like crap about any of it but it's like there's so many people that rely so much on devotions to figure out what what god is saying to them or novenas you know like filipinos always about their novenas it's like it's like i need an answer from god so i'm gonna do this novena or i'm gonna do this this fast you know like or like like you know like i want to find my husband so i'm gonna do a dating fast or like you know like like, people are so like (laughs) people are so (laughs) wow 
like like we get so reliant on all these like kind of like gimmicks i don't want to say gimmicks that's not fair mm-hmm. to those things so those are very precious and sacred but we kind of rely on all these things it's like i can't go to mass without my journal i can't i can't do mm. i can't go to this um go to the chapel without my rosary i can't do this and that mm-hmm. and like sometimes it's like god just wants our raw love like our raw talent mm-hmm. when it comes to our prayer and it's like I think that's like something that Beth was learning is that like she doesn't need the tranquilizers to focus like she's always had it in her all along and it's like something we learn in life it's like we didn't need all of that it's right there God's there mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. just say hello open the door shout out to St. Pat's people who know the door analogy I think we see in Beth like a good story of like a like a saint in the making because mm-hmm. so many times we we would look at people like whether they're like their heroes, the geniuses, or even saints, and we see the perfect image of them. Right. And we ignore, or we don't even like, we, we can't even fathom the struggle that they had to go to to get there. Like all the skeletons in their closet, all the stuff that they they themselves don't want to like necessarily let people let in. But once you find out, like all the stuff that they had, they had to get through to get there. That's when you can truly appreciate just how just how amazing their skills are, or how holy they are, and really appreciate that. Right. That's why I hate cancel culture. I'm just like, I mean, I get cool. it. It's, it's great. It's great for activism in the sense of like when things aren't moving fast enough. But it's like to cancel people over the littlest things, it's like we forget how imperfect we also are. And if you're only right. looking up to perfect people as an imperfect person, then that just shoots yourself mm-hmm. in the foot. And, you know, right. like that's why we love the saints that, that have these imperfect pasts. Because we're like, oh, goodness, there's hope for me, <laughs> you know? And it's right, like, yeah. that's why I like that. I wish Dorothy Day was a saint already. Because it's like, yeah. she is like the, like, prior to, like, Prior to, like, her, like, conversion, she was just, like, even, like, after her conversion, she wasn't the best Catholic. And I love that because I'm not the best Catholic. And yet people entrust their children to me and teach them morality and social justice. And people are like, how do you do it? And I'm like, those that can't do, teach. And they're just like, haha, Meg, you're so funny. (laughs) (laughs) You know? Yeah. Wait, what? Wait, and those who can't teach, teach Jim, those right? Those who can't do, you know? And those that can't teach, teach Jim. Okay, but there's another joke about the gym, the gym teacher. He asked the students, who, who do you guys think the smartest teacher is in the school? And the students are like, oh, probably the chemistry teacher or the math teacher. And he says, wrong. I'm the smartest teacher because... We all get paid the same. <laughs> <laughs> no, that's actually that's so funny. Uh, oh, I was uh, I just gonna make a point. Um, tying it back to like earlier, what Meg was saying about community. Um, again, one of the reasons why Benny is my favorite character, I think, in the series, is because he always tries to hold um Liz accountable. Um, oh, yeah, Beth. Beth. <laughs> um, but Beth takes an L to, to Borgov, and then she's really sad about it, and, like, you know, but Benny calls her, calls her, and she's like, hey, you know, come to New York, and she's like, no, I want to be alone, and then he's like, you know what happens when you're alone? You get drunk. 
you know so he's always there as that like this is the consequences of your choices right now like i'm letting you know as a friend who actually like cares about you like no like you should come we should we can talk about this let's process this healthily um and and you know move forward from it right but then you know she doesn't choose that and then you know eventually she comes around and, and learns to appreciate that like, these are people that are actually supporting me you know but i think in that moment I think many times in, in life, like we're forced in those crossroads, right? Where uh, we, we face things that don't necessarily align with how we would like it to, to happen, you know, unexpected circumstances. And then there's that choice to kind of like cave into the desires of what we would want to do and just kind of like either, you know, like indulge ourselves and try to make ourselves zone feel better. Comfort versus rising above it, right? Exactly. Mm -hmm. Exactly. Um, yeah. And I don't know, like in, in, in chess there's always that mentality of like they, they teach you that even if you win or lose you always go back and analyze your games so you can improve you know and i think her she was in such like a a state of distress where she didn't even want to go back you know i think she was kind of that was the edge of her her motivation was like wow i i built this up like i'm i'm this person i i really needed to take this this win um but i she wasn't able to you know and you know the reason being like she like right like the night before cleo comes in and you know things happen that sort of stuff and she's like walking that line of discipline and then she falls and then she falls even harder you know afterwards and i think like you know that is a little bit like the spiritual journey too you know when i think we we feel like oh wow i'm doing so good you know I, i'm being a good catholic right whatever that means i am doing so well and then one thing happens and then it just leads to another thing. And you're like, oh, you know, like I, I already committed a mortal sin. Might as well commit that one too. Like, you know, it's all the same. And Might you know, as that well finish the bottle. <laughs> right. Finish the bottle. It's already open. Lost the cap. <laughs> <laughs> but I think like that idea of community. Like that's why I love Benny because he's like, no, like I, I'm, I'm gonna be here for you. I want to support you in a way that's like I don't want to just let you do that. Now that you talk about it, like, I'm looking back on every scene that had Benny, and he was never alone. Like, he's always in community with people. Like, he's always in community with mm -hmm. people talking chess. And, like, even when he would do the speed chess thing with Beth, it was, like, the first time it was at a diner. There was other people there. And even at his apartment, even though they were, like, alone together for most of it, then that three-way, four-way speed chess situation, he brought other people into the mix. And so it's right. like he always made it a community thing, even though it seems to be this very one-on-one -on -one sport. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And yeah, even like diving deeper, like thinking about it now, all of Beth, Beth's like um, training is just in her hotel room, like by herself, reading a book in a chess set. And so like, you know, having Benny come out and be like, hey, these are friends who actually play chess. We can play with you. <laughs> like this can be like a community thing. Because even like when she was with Scheibel, she was like, when he finally was like teaching her like what all the scores are called and like let her play white she was like wait i'm good enough you know and like when she says that my heart breaks a little bit she's like i'm good enough to know and shibel's just like in his head being an adult he's like of course you're good enough like how old are you like you're astounding he's like you're eight but yeah like she like i don't like even though she is cocky she's still so insecure like am i Am I good mm -hmm. enough? You know, it's like she didn't get adopted for so long. Her like dad wasn't around in the series at least. Um, the mom died. You know, like she's constantly wondering, am I good enough? Mm -hmm. 
And I think that's also, like, a form of self-sabotage of, like, I'm just going to do this by myself because I don't want to afford someone the opportunity to make me feel like I'm not good enough. Right. So. Right. Yeah, you know, kind of like my thing of, like, you know, you sometimes you hate the game, you know? You, like, you attach it with all the negative stuff and you don't want to go back. Sometimes you hate so. the church. Sometimes you hate the youth group. Sometimes you hate the yeah the, the pastor, right. the person, the whatever it is. Mm-hmm. I think, um... Oh, I was gonna say something. Oh yeah, and like, I think all of that kind of comes into the epitome of like when she plays Benny for the first time, um, and she talks to her mom after. She was like, it was so embarrassing, like all that sort of stuff. Like you know, I played this move and that move, and she, you know, her mom not really knowing what chess is, she offers like hit her this out of perspective when it's not it's not about chess. She, she says, it's because you're afraid of losing. You're thinking more about losing than playing the game, and I think like that also like reflects her mentality about like herself, you know, like riding that line of scrupulosity where it's like, you know, I am being really critical of myself as opposed to just wanting to play, you know, kind of, you know, again, walking with the Lord, you know, being too critical of oneself and you fail to see God in all the things around you, you know, like you're too busy getting yourself to heaven that you don't see the opportunities to like build community Mm. and like really feel the kingdom of God here on earth. You know, it's like, like, I talk about this all the time. I preach this all the time. It's, like, like with, like, Western, like, Christianity, like, this individualistic nature versus, like, a collectivist nature mm-hmm. that comes from, like, our, like, Filipino upbringing or, like, um, like more, like, churches other than America where it's, like, getting to heaven isn't a solo gig. It's not a solo trip, mm-hmm. you know? Like, the kingdom of God can be felt here and now if you let it, if you build that community. Right, right. Definitely. And it kind of goes back to when you mentioned Dorothy Day, because then you, you, you see that echo of like the long loneliness, both in Beth and in Dorothy Day's life. And with Dorothy Day, she, she realizes the answer comes from love experienced through community. Mm-hmm. That's what breaks her out of like her, 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 her going solo gig and being able to like, um, to be able to finally beat Borgoff, or in Dorothy Day's ga- case, to be able to 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 found the Catholic worker movement. Yeah, it comes from experience the love of others and bring that out. Shout outs. Right. 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 <laughs> yes. Get hot. No, get hot. I mean, I, I, like everyone listening, I have to edit this. Like, <laughs> it could be a two-parter. I have to edit this. A two-part. Oh, yeah. The first one is Burger King's Gambit, and the next one is. <laughs> Community. Gambit. I was trying to figure out a restaurant with Queen in it. Queen no, the Sicilian queen. community. Dairy Queen. <laughs> Dairy Queen. Community defense. Dairy Queen. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dairy Queen. Dairy Gambit. Queen and Burger King. <laughs> <laughs> we don't even talk about Dairy Queen. We're just, we're just reaching. We're reaching. We're talking about Dairy Queen right now. I love the dipped cone. Chocolate dipped cone. I think cone. it should be Meg's Queen's Gambit. Queen Meg's Gambit. <laughs> queen Meg's Gambit. <laughs> Yeah. Schooling you and Miss Ace Gambit. <laughs> no, it should be uh, Yas Queen Gambit. Gambit. Yeah. Gambit. Gambit. Like a Twitch. Yes. Gambit. First time I was on a Twitch stream, they were just like, "Oh, thank you for the biddies," and I was like, "Thank you for the what?" <laughs> <laughs> Wait, was that 
that stream. I'm an average nerd. I was like, thank you for the oh, live stream. <laughs> oh, I didn't know what that was. That's so funny. That's so funny. <laughs> for for anyone watching, if you don't want to like, I don't know, if you don't if you don't know how to play chess, I can verify because I actually paused, looked at all the chess games, and like le- like looked at them, making sure they're actually playing real chess. They are playing real chess. Oh, okay. <laughs> I was actually, yeah. I was thinking about that because when I was watching it, I was like, you know, majority of people watching this, they have no idea what's going on. Like, I wonder yeah. if there's actually, if they're actually playing because, I mean, they would, they did it very like detailed in the sense that they showed the mm-hmm. board and they're like moving the pieces. Like there's yeah, yeah. that side, you know, a waiter guy who's just kind of moving the pieces as they right. do. And I'm like, are they actually playing? And it's like, I think the director the writer of the show like it took him a really long time to get the show like like picked up because everybody told him like nobody's going to be interested in a show about chess and i mean they made it very interesting obviously it became so popular yeah. and they did mm-hmm. a good job of that took a lot of good acting of just like mm, now i'm angry because he made a yeah. move that i don't <laughs> like because like for the people that don't know they don't know um, yeah. Honestly, like, I'm sure it was just like the drugs. Like a chess player that does drugs. I'm gonna watch it. Yo, that's really what it is. I mean, I get it. I'm great, at, yeah. great. There was great acting, but let's be real. Yeah. <laughs> let's be Especially honest. after the first episode, when you see a eight-year-old kid OD and just oh, like, yeah. <laughs> awesome. like I'm thinking about college kids they're just like a rave I'll go and it's like not a rave it's just lights it's like college kids just like they know what they know when they want it you know it's like people yeah. are like drugs yeah. just player that's so ironic <laughs> <laughs> yo it's so funny I gotta watch it Dude, that's so crazy yeah. Yeah. Bruh, that's crazy it's funny too like for the majority of the show she actually doesn't play the queen's gambit which is really funny. The queen. Okay, a little nerding out. The queen's gambit is an opening for white, where you push the pawn from the queen. Um, they would call it um, pawn to queen four. Um, in modern day, we we do notation where you just call it like it's like a grid. You do letters and and numbers. So right in modern day, we call it d four. But she never plays d four until the final game, or like and once or twice before that. So. So I wanted to savor it. She can't always be doing yeah. the Queen's Gambit. It's just too on the nose. Yeah. I was going to yeah. say, why did they call the show Queen's Gambit? Oh, here's my guess, actually. Um, Queen's The Queen's Gambit is the second most common opening, second to King's E4, mm. right? There's a bunch of variations to that. But the Queen's Gambit is considered um, a lot less common. I actually played the Queen's Gambit when I was competing, um, and part of the reason I did was because it's less common. A lot of people don't really know how to handle it. Um, this is why you got the $1,000. <laughs> yes. <laughs> yes. Yes. Oh, but this is an episode of Ethan winning a <laughs> But uh, <laughs> I'm going to go spend it at Burger King. But, um, that that's, a lot of, that's a lot of Burger King. <laughs> that's a lot of Whoppers. How do you get the Cindy Minis? <laughs> Place your orders now. <laughs> the the Queen's Gambit is considered an aggressive opening, um, which very much fits Beth because you know she's characterized as an aggressive player. But the idea behind it, what a gambit is, is you basically give a piece for free to win an advantage later on. Um, and so the Queen's Gambit is like, okay, here I'm gonna give you this pawn right here. 
just so that I can take advantage and be aggressive later on. Mm -hmm. And I think that like characterizes her very often. And you know, the queen, her being being a woman and that sort of stuff. I think that's my guess on why it's like that. Makes so. sense. All right. Well, I guess it's about that time. So, <laughs> thank you guys for listening. Everybody say board guy. <laughs> One, two, three. Board guy. Signing off. <laughs> Signing board <laughs> Dude, I just want to say, like, Mark, whenever you're hosting, like, the when I'm editing, the words that I wait to hear, I think it's about that time. <laughs> That's how I know. Yes, we're getting near the end. They're going to close. Yes. And then we we're in the end game now. <laughs> I know. <laughs> so thank you guys for listening to us. I'm Mark. I'm Ethan. I'm Borgov. Just kidding. It's David. <laughs> I'm Meg. And thank you for listening to us. Truly Universal is a production of Urban Picks, All Things to All. Theme song by Demi Guevara. Audio production by Ethan Ko. And outro song by Chris Kabilis. You can find all of our content on our website, www.urbanpicks.com slash trulyuniversal. Please like and subscribe to us on wherever you get your podcasts. If you want to contact us, send us an email at trulyuniversal at urbanpicks.com. Thanks, everybody. We'll see you next time.